Father, we long for the day when Jesus returns and all creation will sing of your holiness. We long for that day. God, I pray that in the meantime, you would strengthen us. In the meantime, as we live in a broken and hurting world, you would strengthen our faith that we would be looking forward with with assurance and great joy to that day when Jesus will return and set all things right. Give us the, the grace to live well in the meantime. I pray that you'd use your word again to enliven us, to sharpen us, to make us your people. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want you to do a little bit of a uh, thought exercise uh, with me. Imagine that someone gave you a magic wand with the power that could fix anything in your life. What would you fix? You don't have to answer out loud if you don't want to, but think about that for a minute. What, what is it in your life that's causing you uh, anxiety or worry or heartache that, that if you could have that fix, if there was something that could just fix that problem immediately, what would that be? What is that thing in your life? Maybe uh, for some of you it's a, it's a financial issue maybe. Maybe you're, you're struggling under a, a burden of debt and you're just not sure uh, where relief is going to come from. Or conversely, maybe you've got a whole pile of money and you're not sure just how to spend that money and you're anxious about it. For others, it might be uh, health-related. Maybe you're uh, struggling with the flu right now and you're just looking for some relief for it. Or maybe you have a long-term uh, illness or ailment and, and you're just you're struggling with it. You need some relief. For others, it might be a relationship, maybe someone at school, or maybe a relative, maybe a coworker. Now, maybe your life is really easy. Maybe you're, uh, you feel very stable right now. You don't really have an answer to what you'd fix if you were given the, the magic wand. But for most of us, there are lots of things in our lives that cause us a great deal of anguish, and we, we want some kind of relief from them. And of course, for Christians, the answer or the question isn't how do we somehow find this magic wand, but really what it comes down to is what do we need Jesus to do for us? The Bible shows that that Jesus is powerful to heal. He's powerful to restore. So as as we think about these things in our lives, as we look at them, the question is where do we need Jesus most in our life right now? That's really the question for us. As we get back into the book of Acts, uh, after a a month hiatus around Christmas, we're we're getting back into a couple of stories where the answer to that question is really, really clear. It's really obvious what the people in this story need from Jesus. So we're in Acts chapter 9. We'll read verses 32 through 43. And if you haven't turned there yet in your Bibles, this would be a good time to do that. You want to have it open uh, in front of you as we go forward. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some in the pew racks. Uh, It's found on page 1088. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 32. This passage has uh, two uh, pretty simply told stories uh, of God's powerful healing. Uh, And just to be clear, of course, there's no magic involved here. There's no magic wands or anything like that. What this is is the power of God in the name of Jesus uh, through his apostle. So uh, let's look at these two stories together. In the first story, a paralyzed man is healed. I'm actually going to pick up in verse 31 to get the context. It's Acts chapter 9. This is right after the conversion of Saul. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So that's the context. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. 
There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So we find this story. Peter is doing something like kind of apostolic pastoral rounds. He's visiting the Christians, visiting the churches, and in the course of doing so, he comes across a man who's paralyzed. He's got a real problem. He can't walk. And so uh, Peter mediates Jesus' healing. The man gets up and is healed, and a whole bunch of people come to put their faith in Jesus. It's a very simple story, very simple plot, but, but notice a couple elements here. There are a couple things that, that we really need to make sure that we take note of. Note, first of all, that there's no human solution to this man's problem, right? He's paralyzed. For eight long years, he's been constrained to a bed. That means that there's no medical solution. There's nothing that can be done, humanly speaking, to solve this man's problem. It's hopeless. So notice, no one can solve this man's problem. That's the first thing we have to note. Note also that Peter doesn't have the power to solve this man's problem. Now, this is important because it looks on the surface like Peter does have the power to solve this man's problem. And indeed, if we look at the book of Acts, there's a lot of power that's been evident in the ministry of Peter. So look at Acts 2. Peter preaches at Pentecost and 3,000 people repent and put their faith in Jesus. That's powerful preaching. Later on in Acts 3, Peter approaches a man at the steps of the temple who's begging and who's never walked a day in his life, and Peter heals him, a guy that had never been able to take a step, suddenly is leaping around the temple, jumping and praising God. That's powerful. Later on, Acts 5, two Christians are, are giving some money to the church, but they're lying about how generous they are. And not only does Peter understand that they're lying, he calls down God's judgment on them, and they fall down dead on the spot. That's powerful. Later on in Acts 5, we see that, that people are so impressed by the power that's, that's in Peter or that's flowing through Peter that, that they're lining up sick people along the street hoping that maybe Peter's shadow might fall across them so that that would heal them. This man has done a powerful ministry. But what does Peter say to the man? Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. So the power to heal this paralyzed man doesn't come from Peter. I mean, yes, Peter is, is evidencing a lot of power, but the power is not Peter's innate power. It's the power of Jesus mediated through Peter. So he's just the, the agent. He's not the source of the power. The power comes from Jesus. And it's the same thing throughout in Acts 3. What did, what did Peter say to the crippled man? He says, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. So it's the power of Jesus, not Peter's power, that heals the man. So there's no human solution to this. Peter doesn't have a solution to this, but Jesus' power is able to heal him. And then note the immediate response of the power of God. Immediately, Aeneas got up. So there's clear evidence right away that something powerful has happened to this man. Paralyzed, bedridden for eight years, and now suddenly he's able to get up and to walk on his own. And then notice, uh, finally, the result of this powerful healing. Verse 35 all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So news of this healing obviously spreads through the region because they know that this guy's a paralyzed guy. Everyone's seen that he is unable to walk for eight years, and now suddenly he's out walking about them. So the evidence of this, this power at work, this healing power, has, has made the people stand in awe of God, and they turn to Jesus as a result. And that's what happens when the power of God is on display in such magnificent fashion. So in the first story, it's a pretty simple story, pretty simple plot. 
Jesus heals a paralyzed man through Peter, and a bunch of people turn and put their faith in him. The second story follows a similar plot line. Uh, Verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, and then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa sometime with a tanner named Simon. So a very similar plotline, but we get a little bit more of a human interest in this one. We don't know really anything about Aeneas. We don't even know that for sure he was a believer in Christ. It looks like he probably was, but we don't even know that from him. There's very little detail about him, but we get a little bit more detail about who this uh, woman Tabitha is. We get, first of all, two names, her Greek name Dorcas or her Aramaic or Hebrew name uh, Tabitha. They both mean gazelle for what that's worth. Um, Luke took the time to give two names so we can have a a quick word on her name. But more importantly, uh, she's actively ministering in the church. In particular, she's caring for the needs of those who are poor, especially the widows among them. So because of this, because of her ministry has been so great, the community has really felt the loss of this. This has been a, a, taken a big toll on them, and so everyone is, is crying and, and, and mourning. She's greatly mourned because the community of faith has lost a, a vital part uh, of their family. Now they hear that Peter is nearby, and so they send for him. And we're not really sure why they sent for him. I, I've questioned this. Did they think that he could actually raise her from the dead? Is that their hope? Or did they just want him to come and kind of mourn with them and provide some pastoral support? We don't really know. But in any case, Peter does come. He arrives and he sees a very moving scene. All these widows are there crying. and They're, they're showing him the evidence of, of Tabitha's ministry. Look at the clothes she made for us. Look at how she cared for us. It's a very moving scene. Peter takes all this in. He asks everyone to leave. He quietly gets down on his, gets down on his knees and he prays, and then he tells her to get up, and she does, and he presents her back to the community of faith. So a lot of the same features that are noteworthy in the first story are noteworthy in this one. So like the first one, there's no human solution to this. I mean, it's even more obvious in this one. Uh, this woman is not just paralyzed. She's actually deceased. She's passed away. And we, we should remember that ancient people knew as well as we do when someone is dead. You know, They're not kind of superstitious people, unlike us, they know just like us that when someone dies, they're dead and they're not coming back to life. And remember also that we see that Joppa and Lydda, they're about 10 miles apart, so a round trip, 20 miles, would have taken at least a full day for them uh, to, get, to go and get Peter and to bring him back. So this isn't either some case of kind of her fainting or her passing out and happening to revive at just the time when Peter gets there. This isn't like that. This is, she was actually dead, no human solution, Nothing, humanly speaking or medically speaking, that can be done to revive this woman. She's dead. There's no hope. And yet they call for Peter. Note also that that here, too, Peter doesn't have the power to heal this woman. What is the first thing he does? He clears the room, and then he gets down on his knees, and he prays. 
It's because he knows that he doesn't have the power innately within him to heal this woman. If there's going to be a healing, it needs to be the power of Jesus who heals her. That's exactly what happens. Note again, it's an immediate response. Peter prays, he turns to the woman, he tells her to get up, and immediately she opens her eyes, sees him, and sits up. An immediate response. That means that the power of God is, again, clearly evident in a, in a miraculous way here. And then note again, finally, what happens as a result. Verse 42, this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. So, of course, this happens. If someone dies and then suddenly they're back to life, news of that is, of course, going to spread. It's going to spread quickly. So this powerful healing spreads through the whole region, and many people believe in Jesus. They put their faith in him. It's the same thing that happened earlier in Lydda, in the neighboring town over. God's power has been on display in breathtaking fashion, and when that happens, people take notice, and they turn to the source of that healing. So they're standing in awe of God, and they're putting their trust in Jesus as a result. So two very simple stories told very, simp- very simply. Jesus brings healing through Peter, and a bunch of people turn to Jesus. Very simply told stories, but there's a, a powerful element to these. The power of God in the name of Jesus is evident in awe-inspiring fashion. So what about us? Where do we fit in? As we read this, what do we learn about Jesus? What do we learn about God? What's the takeaway for us? Well, the lesson's pretty clear. It's a pretty simple lesson. It's that, that Jesus has the power to heal. And really, that's important for us because we need his healing in, in a ton of different ways. I mean, think of the, the things that you would fix that we thought about at the very beginning of the message here. The things in your life that, that need some kind of an answer. Well, what this is saying is that Jesus has the power to fix that. He has the power to heal. Now, these stories in Acts 9 are, are physical healings. This is about physical ailments primarily. But we see from the, the whole scope of Scripture that Jesus has the power to fix everything, to make everything right. And that's really good news for, for needy people because we, in many different ways, need healing. And we see here that Jesus has the power to heal. So this should actually really excite us. We should read these stories and say, well, well if, if he has the power even to heal someone who's paralyzed with no hope, or even someone who's dead to bring them back to life, well, then there's no limits to the power of Jesus to bring healing to us today. But of course, some of us are going to be skeptical of this. I mean, maybe you can't see that, say that the, the Acts 9 healings didn't happen. You weren't there, and there were apparently eyewitnesses. It got recorded in Scripture. So maybe you can't say those didn't happen. But any time you hear of someone attributing healing to God today, you're just a little bit, a little bit not sure if you believe that. So it's easy to be cynical, right? We, we pray for God to bring healing to someone. Say they're undergoing cancer treatments, and we're praying that God would, would clear the cancer away. And the cancer treatments are successful. They go back for a scan, and, and they get the all clear. No more cancer in your body. And, and we celebrate. We praise God. But you think, well, okay, that would have happened anyway. That wasn't the, the power of God. That was the power of kind of medical science. It wasn't Jesus who healed them. It was the doctors who healed them. And what makes matters worse is that there are supposed faith healers, self-proclaimed faith healers, who are going around making money by faking miracles. I saw a report of a, uh, from a uh, Kenyan TV station that was doing an investigative report of the ministry of a, a preacher named Victor Kenyari. And Kenyari is this, this energetic, enthusiastic man uh, who has managed to gather kind of a significant gathering in his church um, 
outside of Nairobi. And what he does is he encourages them to, to plant a seed of faith by sending money into his ministry in the hope that maybe he will be able to heal them. So first kind of give them money, and then that's kind of your little bit of, little bit of faith there, and then hopefully he'll be able to heal you. But what this invest, investigative report from the TV station showed is that, that Kenyari's healings were all faked. In other words, it wasn't the power of God that was on display. It was him tricking people into thinking that they had been healed and then convincing other people to lie about supposed healings that happened earlier to further gain credibility. So one of his uh, former assistants uh, told about one of the different things that they would do, one of the tactics they used. Um, they, would, they would do these kind of elaborate foot washing ceremonies. And when Jesus washes feet, it's an act of service. But, but when he washes feet, it's kind of a, he, he, it's a supposed miracle. So he gets these uh, men and women who are um, diagnosed with HIV. They're infected with HIV virus. And, and so he says that he is going to heal them or he's going to pray for God to heal them. But what they do is they found this chemical called potassium permanganate and it reacts with water and turns red. So they sit these HIV patients down in the front row and they make a big show of it. They get the cameras and everything and they rub, secretly rub this chemical on their feet. They dip their feet in the water and when it gets wet, redness comes off of their feet. And what they say is, well, that's that's blood coming out of your body, and that's the HIV-infected blood coming out of your body. You're being healed. I mean, this is, this is terrible stuff, right? I mean, it's all for show, and there's no power. There's no actual healing in it, and they're convincing people that this is happening, that they're being healed of HIV through this thing. Now, in a world like that, it's no wonder that we're skeptical, right? When people are making money off of this, it's easy to believe that that's what all of these healing stories are about. Anytime anyone attributes healing to God, well, it must be someone like this who's just making a show of it, who's just a big fake. But I want you to notice how different that African preacher is from what Peter is doing. So, so this African preacher, he's calling for cameras, he's making a big show of it, he wants lots of attention there, he's doing everything right up on the stage so everyone can see it. Whereas Peter clears the room, he quietly gets down on his knees and he prays. He doesn't want there to be a bunch of fanfare and a bunch of mysticism and all that stuff. He, he wants it to be a simple act of God's power. And, and this African preacher, he, he, he uses sensational tricks that, that might get someone emotionally involved in the moment, but they can be shown to be false if the person goes and gets tested. Again, they're still positive for HIV. Whereas Peter's healing is verifiable. He takes a man who couldn't walk, he, he couldn't get out of bed, and he heals him. So suddenly a paralyzed man is walking around. That's verifiable. A dead woman is alive. That's verifiable. And the response of those who hear and who see shows further the veracity of those miracles. They're verifiable and they are shown to be true. And of course the real kicker is that uh, this uh, Kenyari guy is asking for your money and that's why he's doing his healings. Whereas Peter comes and he isn't, doesn't have any financial gain for this. And in fact, when he meets the, the beggar outside the temple, uh, in, in Jerusalem, he says, I don't have silver, I don't have gold, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. I mean, that's Peter's healing. It's giving, it's not taking. Now, the, the power of God is very different from the shows of charlatans. In, in a world of charlatans, though, for us, the danger for us is to, to not believe that God does powerful healing anymore. It's easy for us to be cynical of this. It's easy for us to be skeptical and just not really trust the healing power of Jesus anymore. It's a danger that's true even for us as Christians. I mean, think about this. How often do we pray for healing 
for someone with the qualification in our minds that we just don't really think it's going to happen. We don't really think that God can heal them, or maybe we just don't think that God will heal them. But this is why Jesus came. He came to heal. He came to restore. So when John the Baptist is, is in prison, this is not a good thing. He's in prison and he's, he's wondering, is Jesus really the Messiah? He sends his followers to go and to ask Jesus about this. And so this is what Jesus says. This is from Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. Listen to this. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So how do we know that Jesus really is the Messiah, the the king that God sent to save his people? Because he brings God's healing. I mean, that's the ministry of Jesus. He comes to restore. He comes to heal. And what's so important about Acts is that it's showing us that, that he's still doing that through the church. Peter is continuing the healing ministry of Jesus. Jesus came to heal those who are sick, to restore those who are broken. And the same thing is happening through Peter in the ministry of the church. So this passage in Acts 9, it should give us great hope for healing today too because God still has the power to heal. Jesus still has the power to heal. But it also points us beyond just today. It points us forward to the full and final healing that Jesus will bring when he returns. I saw an article in Christianity Today a couple months ago uh, titled, God Always Heals. And the title might be a little bit off-putting at first if you've prayed for healing and had not had the answer that you were looking for. But, but the author does a really important thing here. He, he helpfully points out that there are different kinds of healing. In other words, God heals people in different ways. There's the miraculous kind of healing that we see in Acts 9, something that was, that's incredible, a paralyzed man who can walk, a dead woman brought back to life. These are the, the big miracles, the things that, that are an awesome display of God's power. But there's another way that God heals us as well. Say a virus attacks my body. What happens? My white blood cells get to work. I don't know all the science of it, but, but my body attacks that infection. And most of the time, I get healed. Now, we could just say, well, that's just my body doing its thing. But who made my body? Well, God did. That's one of the ways that God has designed us to heal us. That's still God's hand healing us. Or say it's, it's something not just uh, innate like that, or a virus or bacteria or something, but let's say it's, it, it's, a, it's a devastating car accident or something like that. The, the guy who wrote the article says this. He, when he was young, he said, I, I cycled into the middle of a busy street. My, my tibia and fibula were smashed between my bike and a VW Beetle. A windshield wiper cut four inches into my side between my liver and my spleen. An ambulance arrives within minutes, and paramedics put a splint on my leg. At the hospital, my leg is reset. A surgeon removes fragments of windshield glass from my torso and repairs the gash. After 16 weeks, I'm running around again like normal. The ambulance, the paramedics, the skill of the surgeon, the discoveries that make operating rooms and anesthesia possible, all are gracious gifts of a loving God. So we'd say, yeah, the, do- the doctors, the medical science, all those things, these are what healed you. But, but where did that come from? Who gave us the ability to, to think that way and to act that way? Well, God did. That's another way that God heals his people. And then we dare not miss the, the last type of healing that he points to. He says, this is the type of healing when the trumpet sounds and the dead are raised in the twinkling of an eye, never to perish again. 
Corrupted bodies become incorruptible. Sickness and affliction will never again befall them. The sterile smell of the operating room corridor is no more. Octogenarians formerly bound to hospital rooms are given new life and new youth that will never be stolen by the march of time. Every deaf ear is unblocked. Every damaged limb is repaired. Every blind eye sees. Autism, Down syndrome, schizophrenia, and Alzheimer's disease are swallowed up in victory. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Nobody cries except with joy. God always heals. I mean, that's what it's getting at. That yet, yes, sometimes God heals powerfully today in a miraculous way, like the two stories we heard today. A paralyzed man who suddenly can walk, a, a dead woman who's restored back to life and given her ministry back to her community. Miraculous things. But then God also uses the mundane things today, the, the ordinary, our bodies doing what he has designed them to do to heal us. And, and he uses the skill of, of medical professionals to heal us. But then the, feeling that we, the healing that we really look forward to is when Jesus returns and every single ailment, every single sickness is healed once and for all, forever. Never again to plague us and to bother us. That is healing too. And that is the super miraculous, the super powerful, and it will happen for sure. So yes, God does heal. And God does heal today. He heals powerfully today, miraculously today. Last week, as we shared uh, some things together that we have seen God do, people testified to, yes, God has healed me. He has done a work in my life. So yes, he is alive and active today. No, he doesn't always work in the way that we ask him to or the way we want him to or the way that we expect him to. The, The power of God to heal is a mysterious thing that we do not understand because we have very finite minds, very limited perspective. But God does heal. Jesus came to bring God's healing. Jesus today has the power to heal us. And he will return one day soon and restore all things. That will be a beautiful day. We must remember that the one who made the world, who made us, is going to make the world new. We get resurrected bodies, incorruptible, imperishable bodies. When Jesus returns, every prayer for healing is answered. So today, in the meantime, we pray for God's healing for people. We fast, we intercede for them when when they're going through difficult times, when they need Jesus' healing. We stop and we pray for them. We lay hands on them. We pray together as a community for them. We persevere in faith, trusting that God will do the right thing, trusting that he has the power to heal them. And in the meantime, we remember that God is good and that he is powerful and that he will heal. So the good news for today is this. Jesus has the power to heal. Jesus brings God's healing. We can turn to him. We can put our whole life in his hands. He has the power to heal us. Please pray with me. God, for a, for a people with, with dozens and, and hundreds and maybe even thousands of, of infirmities, whether physical or, or mental or relational or, or spiritual, to hear that, that Jesus really is powerful, is, I pray that you would spark hope in us, God. 
where we're tempted to despair, where we're tempted by pain to give up, or we're tempted by darkness to give up. God, speak again of the power of healing that's found in the name of Jesus. And as we're unsure of this, I pray that you'd, you'd bolster us all the more and point us again to the end. Point us to the fact that you will heal all of us ultimately forever, never to suffer again. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.